you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Romans, the eighth chapter, this uh, past week I was uh, studying and had Romans, the eighth chapter, specifically the 28th to McClinney it out and I had some thoughts together. I just uh, happened to, which I do from time to time, went to McClinney Primitive Baptist Church's uh, website and I listened to Brother David Crawford, uh, Brother Michael Green sometimes, and uh, the last couple sermons that Brother David had preached have been on Romans 8, 28, and I, so I listened to those sermons and I thought, uh, he did such a wonderful job of it, I thought, well, maybe I don't need to preach on it, you know, because uh, maybe I need some more understanding on it. But I encourage you, if you, if you have a minute, to, to, to go to that website and listen to some of those sermons he's preached on this. But I do want to fo- continue to follow the impression of the Lord, uh, which was, uh, has been on my mind for the past couple of weeks. And Romans 8, 28 is probably one of, maybe aside from John three sixteen, one of the most uh, recognized verses. If you go uh, lots of times... Where I notice it is if you go in uh, restaurants and sometimes you'll see where um, maybe some celebrity or uh, famous athlete has uh, maybe got some connection with the owners and they'll send them a picture and they'll, uh, you know, say to so-and-so and and they'll they'll hang it up on their wall. And uh, oftentimes you'll see, they'll say, you know, if if, if I owned a restaurant, they'd say to Luke, you know, uh, hope things are going well, signed whoever. And then under, they'll put Romans 8, 28. I, I've just seen that so many different times. And it's, um, it's one of the, the most misunderstood verses. And it's very easy to misunderstand. If you don't really rightly divide the scriptures and look at what we're really talking about, uh, what it's really talking about when you look at this verse. So let me just read it to start with. And it's, again, it's very familiar. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 29. It says, For, and 34, whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. It's very common to hear people quote the 28th, verse where it says we know all things work together for good now that's usually about as far as they get in quoting that verse most of them don't even take the time to finish verse 28 and the application there when they say we know that all things work together for good is that regardless of what happens in your life uh, no matter how tragic something may be that it is orchestrated by the lord and he is moving things around and he has brought this into your life. And ultimately, because he, he's brought that into your life, because he has got some way of when it's all said and done, bringing some good about from it. Now, for example, uh, you lose your spouse tragically in a car wreck. The application there would be that the Lord caused that to happen because in some shape or form, He's going to use that experience in your life to bring about something good. All right, that's the, that's the application that you will typically hear. Now, I'm just going to speak for my own personal take on that, but I think it applies across the board. To me, if I believe that every single thing that happens is orchestrated by the Lord and brought into our lives for some purpose. 
To me, that is a fast track to where I will very soon quit repenting. Think about it. Okay, well, I committed this great and terrible sin, but my belief is that the Lord has orchestrated that in my life to teach me something. Well, why would I, why would I be burdened to repent of that? If, if I believe that no matter if, if one of my children or, or my wife or one of my friends or family are laying on a, a sick bed just being uh, you know, ridden with some disease and the Lord is going to do this regardless of whatever I feel about it to teach something or bring a greater good, why would I ever pray? Because the Lord's just going to do what the Lord's going to do and we're just kind of little puppets. So... It's a fast track to me without belief to, to people to stop repenting, people to stop praying, people to stop confessing, and most certainly to become angry with God. Because look, that's, that's our human nature, is it not? Something, you know, when, when, when uh, we feel like somebody has intentionally and purposefully brought heartache into our lives, when are we ever glad about that? When somebody intentionally does something like that to us, we get very angry. And from the testimonies of people that have been around a lot longer than I did, when this belief, and this belief kind of, from my understanding, filtered into the Primitive Baptist uh, you know, years and years ago, and it had a huge impact, a negative impact, and it affected them, and that a lot of those have just slowly those churches that believe that have slowly just died out now why is that because you kind of get to the point like what's the use of doing anything what's the use of going to church and and repenting and doing all that if if i'm just a puppet and the lord is orchestrating things to do to bring about some greater good and you just eventually just kind of throw your hands up and you get angry with god and you just kind of grow stagnant that's the end result of holding on to that belief. And I've talked to people with that belief. I've talked to people who have lost their children in a car accident. And no matter what I showed them in this Bible, they 100% believed that God caused that to happen because he had some greater purpose. I could not wrap my mind around it. Couldn't do that. Because again, when somebody intentionally does us wrong or bring hurt to us, we don't, we don't just all of a sudden have this gushing emotion of love. We get angry. Now, that's what it leads to. I don't have enough time to go through all this, but I want you to, I want you to understand this. There are things in our life that absolutely work against us. Now, there's, there's several things here that I want to point out. Number one, and I'm going to be very quick with this. We know that all things, I've heard preachers say before, you know what all means? They'll say all means all. Well, it really doesn't. Okay. One of the things that I heard Brother David Crawford preach that I never uh, had take the time, taken the time to study was he went through and found that the phrase all things is used, I think he said, I think he said 201 times in the Bible. And he said by his study, which he's been doing this a long time, I think he said 50 years maybe, only four of the 201 actually meant all, without any exceptions. All typically means this, and this is, the only, this is as good as examples I can come up with, and I've used it before with you. If we go to a restaurant 
And like many restaurants do, you know, you, you're sitting across the table from me, and as many restaurants do, they bring a basket of bread before our meal, and they sit it in front of us. Cracker Barrel does that with biscuits, and I love them. If they did that, and they sat that down, and I looked at you and said, hey, can I have all the biscuits? Nothing in your mind thinks I mean all the biscuits in the entire world. You know that I mean all the biscuits that are under consideration that have been set before us. You see, there's some exceptions to that all. You know, the Lord tells his disciples, he says, ye shall be hated by all men for my name's sake. Did the disciples hate each other? No. He's talking about all of, of a specific set. So number one, let's let's. Let's uh, break this thing down to say that it's, we're not talking about every single thing in the world. This is a specific set of alls, just like the basket of bread. It also says this, this is this, these things that are happening, these things that are working together, it only applies to one group of people. And that group of people is described in two different ways. It only applies to them that love God. And it only applies to them who are the called. Not called, the called. See, called is a verb. The called is a noun to identify somebody. It's a name. So he's saying... These all things, number one, does not include every single thing in the world. It doesn't necessarily include this tragedy that's happened. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't include the, the adultery. It doesn't include the, the, you know, the, the pedophile's actions. It doesn't include those things. And it only applies to God's people. That's very clear. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them. That, are, that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's the same group of people. Now, Paul says, listen to this. I want you to think about this and comparing the, 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 the common belief. 30 to 35 verses prior to this. Now, maybe Paul took a week in between writing chapter 7 and chapter 8. I don't know. But I do know this, it's all one inspired thought process. Okay? 30 to 35 verses, this is what Paul writes before this. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. How to perform that which is good. All things work together for good. Paul says, I can't find it. For the good that I would, I do. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would do, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more that I, no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Notice this. But I see another law in my members warring against, against the law of my mind. Not for it, not in conjunction with it to bring about a greater good, but it's working against me. 
And it's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And this is what he says. He doesn't listen. He does not say, hey, but it's all good. Everything that's going on and every time I want to do good, but I do evil. Oh, all things work together for good. He does not say that. That is not his mindset. He is broken by the way the flesh wars against his spirit. And this is what he says. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I'm in prison in a corrupt, fallen body that wants to do good in the spirit, but only ends up doing evil. And nowhere in here does he say, but it's all fine because God meshes it all together. He's making it happen and he's going to spit out a result that brings glory to himself. He says, I got to be delivered from this mess. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about a sporting event. On one side, you've got this team. On the other side, you got this team. Now, when this team's, uh, when this uh, team does well, their, their fans stand up and cheer and go crazy, right? If this team is Alabama, and Alabama scores a touchdown, the state bright Denny erupts. Yay, clapping and why? Because their team has been glorified as dominant, overpowering, and successful. That's why they cheer. When this team does well, this team just kind of sits here. Have you ever seen the watching ESPN and, and the, the faces of the people whose team is not doing well? They're just, you know, they do that on purpose. They just they're they're sad. Because their team is not successful and not dominant. Now, I took, I had to write down because there's no way I could remember them. The other day, I pulled up Fox News. All right, on this side, I've got the Lord. On this side, I've got the devil and all the powers of darkness. I took the top 20, the first 20 articles that were listed on Fox News. And I didn't write out all the headlines. I just kind of wrote the summary of what it was about. First one was all the mess that's going on with President Trump, the indictments and all that stuff. Now, who do you think roars in victory? Who do you think sees that as a success and powerful? When our own government is fighting amongst itself and possible scandals going on. You think the devil roars and cheers and is glorified by that? Absolutely. That's his victory, not the Lord's. The next one was an entire police force quit in a small town. Who do you think glorifies and, and cheers about that one? A congressman got into a fight at a rodeo. There were multiple, multiple articles about the transgender movement. Who's roaring about that? Who are these glorifying now? Which one of these would stand up and say, success, we're dominant, we're winning, we're overpowering, our presence is felt. There was a conflict on an airline where a, a lady went on a cussing tirade and got arrested and thrown off the plane. 
There was an article about a country music star that's female that was about how she keeps what little clothes she wears during in her concerts from falling off. Hey, who roars about that? Who cheers about that? Who does that glorify? Does that glorify the success of darkness? Or does that glorify the Lord? The Hawaii wildfires. Somebody discovered to, they were talking about using mushrooms to get the same a drug effect as illegal drugs. The Hunter Biden scandal. Conflicts among the NFL team names. You say, well, that doesn't, yeah, conflict. Conflict. Who loves conflict? The devil. There was a murder slash revenge article. There was an article about uh, pornography. There was an article about a dangerous virus that was spreading through Florida. A teacher was shot. There was another one about a murder. There was another one about a carjacking. There was another one about uh, the whole scandal with the blindside football player. There were only three that were just kind of generic articles. That's out of the top. The first 20 I came to, and I've told you a thousand times before, be careful about gorging yourself on the news. That's why. Who do those things glorify? How can we with a straight face say all these things that Satan cheers about and is happy about and sees himself as being dominant and overpowering? How can we say, oh, they all work together for good? How can we say that? You know what Paul said? Sometimes I find myself in this group over here doing things that would make a headline that would make Satan cheer and I'm in prison. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He never says, God be glorified about it. He's broken about it. Listen, your life, your health, your wealth, your relationships, the Bible talks about time and chance. You know, and another sermon for another day is this. Well, you know, what, and, and Hank asked me this a while back. He said, Dad, if, if, and, and, and probably every kid has asked this. If God is powerful and God can do whatever he wants to do and nobody can stop him, why doesn't he just get rid of all the sin in the world? Well, number one, he, he will. But number two, if God came down and just took it all away, every tear, every sorrow right here, right now, you wouldn't have any part of you that look forward to heaven. You'd want to stay right here. What, and I, and I'm, I'm paraphr- I don't have to paraphrase. It's just two, two pages over. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured? What is He enduring? All of this. He endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Well, why didn't He just do away with them all? He's enduring them. Why? That He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy... That is the ones that are called according to his purpose. And those are the called. Those are them that love God. It's the same group of people. He said, I need you to see the greatness and the riches of the glory that I have bestowed on you beforehand. And you'll never, ever get it if you don't see these over here going on. I'm not making it happen. I'm just enduring them. And until time is no more, we're going to have to endure them. So one day we will look at the Father and say, thank you for making me a vessel of mercy. Now, time and chance happens to us all. The Bible speaks about that. 
Sometimes <clears throat> the freight train of time and chance just steamrolls us. Yes. It can steamroll your life, it can steamroll your relationships, your money. But that does not mean the Lord brought that. Amen. Now listen, understand me, the devil cannot get through the hedges of God. But we step out of them a lot of times, do we not? And sometimes time and chance happens. So then, let me close with this. <clears throat> what are we talking about? All things, what all things work together for good. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose for. That is a conjunction that connects two thoughts. Romans 8, 28 is connected with verse 29 and 30. You cannot separate them. You cannot apply them in the proper context unless you put them together. See, that's the danger that we face. Yeah, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You can take the first 10 words of verse 28 and twist it and make something that doesn't say, but if you don't take all of it and all of 29 and 30, you're going to find yourself off. You're going to find yourself angry at God. You're going to find yourself failing and to have a desire to repent and all that. So what is it talking about? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He talks about who he predestinated, he called, he justified, and he glorified. Let me finish with this. <clears throat> your life right now as it stands, you can get in your car, drive to Tuscaloosa, and on your way, a drunk driver T-bone you and maim you or kill you. That's time and chance, folks. Now, if you're the drunk driver, that's not time and chance. That's your own stupidity and bad decisions. But time and chance happens to everybody. You see, the devil wants to destroy. The Bible says he's seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants. And he can do it. But can he break through the defenses of God's foreknowledge? Well, the Bible tells me that nothing, what is foreknowledge? It's love. It's foreknowing. It is a loving beforehand. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love. Foreknowledge is behind a defense wall that Satan cannot get to, and that works for your good. Predestination. What is predestination? It is taking these that he has set behind the defenses of his foreknowledge and predestinating them to be his family. To be adopted as sons is what Ephesians says. Now, can Satan attack that? Well, he can try. He can go up to the Lord and say, oh, but Lord, what about Luke? You don't want to predestinate Luke because look at all the sin that Luke is going to have in his life from the time he's born to the time he dies. But the Bible says... According that the purpose of election might stand before Jacob or Esau had done good or evil. According as his purpose of election might stand, it said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. His predestination, his foreknowledge and choosing was before the Bible says we'd ever done any good or done any evil. It's tucked back behind that wall that Satan can't get through. What about the calling? That's the new birth. The calling of God is on his people that brings him spiritual life is internal and instantaneous. 
If there was an army in this world that had a weapon that would be internal and spring up in the midst of its enemies and be instantaneous, they would be undefeatable. The Bible says it's like the wind blowing. See, the devil doesn't know where the wind's blowing. God does. The devil is not all-knowing. Because the calling and the new birth is internal and instantaneous, Satan can't touch it. He can't block it because he doesn't know where he's coming from. Think about a football team. If a guy could just, when they said a hike, if he could just disappear, a wide receiver could just disappear and then reappear in the end zone, you couldn't stop him because you wouldn't know where he would be. You can't stop God's new birth and the Spirit bringing that. It's tucked in behind that wall. What about justification? Well, the Lord, why are we justified? Because Jesus Christ was the perfect spotless lamb that was our sacrifice. Now, Satan tried to stop that. How? By tempting him. You remember? He tried to tempt. And if he could have got Jesus to fall on one point, all is lost. But he couldn't touch him because he was the spotless lamb of God. And our justification is tucked back behind that wall. What about glorification? The Bible tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. Why? Because Jesus Christ came out of the tomb resurrected. There are five things. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justifying, and glorifying that Satan cannot touch. And now listen, without one of them, it's not complete. You take away uh, predestination, that's incomplete. But they all five are protected. Satan cannot touch them. And all five of them work together to our good. And they're tucked safely behind a wall and a defense that Satan cannot get through. I close with this. Satan will win many battles. But he does not win the war. And we know that. Romans 8.28, I hope that's brought some light to it. It does not mean that every single thing that happens to you is orchestrated by God. What it means is there are certain things that are listed in verse 29 and 30 that are untouchable. And they work together for our good. I hope that's been profitable. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.